Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we'll hear from Pastor Nate Linseth in the series, Moving Forward. This seventh week on the series, we will hear him speak on worship. Now here is Pastor Nate. All right. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that to happen. Man, it's good to see everybody. You guys doing good? Yeah, you look good. Wow. Well, we'll have to come back to that video in a second because that's going to be something I, I'm looking forward to everybody being a part of. It's the better together. Man, look at your neighbor and say, you look good this morning. Yes. All right. You do look good this morning. Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but I am, I am just excited uh, thank you again for all of the people that came out to Community Care Day yesterday. Can you clap for that? Um, Pastor Jason, your team, you did such a great job. We had over 100 people there. Isn't that amazing? And, uh, you know, the joke around town is if you're, you know, evangelistically speaking, there was at least 200, right? So we, uh, we had a great time. It was, it was a lot of fun. But I want to just make sure you caught that part about next week. Everybody know what's happening next week? We're having a picnic, bounce house, all kinds of fun. Uh, I'm planning on jumping in there. We'll see how that goes. Uh, maybe, maybe Dave, Phyllis, and I will wrestle or something. I don't know. It'll be fun. But we'll have a great time. <laughs> Uh, but we need just a few more people to sign up and volunteer. So you just go to pcctoday.com and we need help with different things like that. Also, I want to encourage you, invite somebody, okay? Invite somebody to come. I'm inviting my neighbor. He has a classic car. And like, apparently if you have classic cars, bring them. We're going to try and show off some cars. Um, so make sure you bring them. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. So show up, volunteer, have fun, uh, because PCC is the place to... B, that's right. You are in the right place. Well, today we're still in this series on moving forward. Say, I am moving forward. Moving forward. It's so important to keep moving forward. There's no neutral in the kingdom of God. Well, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today um, this theme that we've been going through different things, we've talked about God's presence, it's what sets us apart. Um, Pastor Mael preached an amazing message on the Word of God. Uh, we've talked about all kinds of things. Uh, generations. We are going to engage the future and honor the past, right? All those different things. So, so important that we go through all of that. By the way, if you missed any, you can go online and check it out. Um, today, we're going to talk about something that is so important. One of the most actually important things that God says that you and I should be mindful of, and that is worship. Worship. Worship is a powerful conversation, is it not? Amen. Worship is a powerful expression of what God has done. And today, I, I want to talk to you about worship and maybe a little different angle than what you've, you've thought about before. But I want you to ask this question. Have you ever thought about maybe presenting something, could be worship, or just anything in general. Have you ever thought about if you've given something away or presented something to somebody else, and that thing that you wanted to give to that person, maybe you cared about, maybe it was a present, a gift, and it got rejected? Have you ever had that happen to you? It's not very much fun, 
I was six years old and I was in Royal Rangers. Shout out Royal Rangers. Oh yeah. Uh, troop number. We're number one, aren't we? I, oh, my bad. Out. See, it's been a little while, guys. I was six years old. Okay. Outpost number. That's right, Dave. Come on. We got to shout it from the mountaintops. Outpost number one. That's us. Well, I wasn't an outpost number one. I was an outpost, I don't know, 401. I don't know, whatever, whatever it was. And one of the things that happens as you climb the ladder in Royal Rangers is you get different awards, different medals, and they have something. The very pinnacle of this is called the gold medal of achievement. And I want to show you the winner in Iowa. This dude uh, should be coming up on the screen here in just a moment. I hope there he is. He just took his gold medal. Now, I want you to look at the, the, his like the different awards and different things that he has on right there. OK, so imagine you're six years old and you're introduced to this class and there's a guy that comes in and he is he's there's a gold medal achievement winner there and he's got all these different things. And I look at him and I'm thinking, I want to have those medals being a competitive person that I am. So I started thinking, how can I do this? Well, my dad goes to Paraguay on a mission trip and he comes back with gold coins from Paraguay. And that's what it looks like. That's a, that's worth. That's like a, it says it's a hundred of the like that's worth like a hundred Garni or whatever. But it's only worth a penny uh, in our dollar. Um, so but they were gold and shiny. So being the um, I don't know, creative person that I was, I took seven of those gold coins and I taped it onto my uh, Royal Ranger vest. <laughs> and so I had it. I remember this day laying out my little vest and I carefully taped them all on and I put it on. I think it was a, I was a straight arrow back then. It was like a red vest. I don't know if they still have straight arrows anymore. Uh, so I put it on and you would have thought I was King Tut walking around. I was like, Look at me, guys. I got my gold medal of achievement. And I'm walking around showing everybody how how much I've done. I've arrived. I've done. All. I'm just bragging, you know. Yeah, but you could have worked harder, too, to get some of these, you know. And so I'm walking around and one of the Ranger commanders, um, I think he was like an associate or something. I'm not sure if he was the head guy. He looks at me and he says, what are you doing? And I said, I, I've got all my medals. I got the gold medal of achievement. And no joke, he grabbed him and just ripped it right off of me. I just burst into tears. I was just devastated. Like, oh, my gold medal of achievement is gone. And I was just broken. And, I, and you know, as, as hopefully you don't feel too, I'm okay, okay? Everybody's like, oh, should we go back and give Pastor Nate a hug? Like, I'm fine, I promise you. It's okay. Because um, there's a lot of great rangers. I'm not trying to say anything negative about that. But what I am saying is oftentimes we think that we're doing something and we want credit for it. But what if you're doing something in a way that isn't received? It's actually not accepted. We've all had moments in our lives when people cross boundary lines when they do things that we're saying, no, 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 that's not acceptable in this time or this place. And one of the things that's really important 
as we come to church or we're at home or wherever we are, and the Bible says that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. So if you're wondering what you should be doing with your life, your number one thing you should be doing is loving God. And it looks like worship. But the question you should probably ask is, is there any way that I'm worshiping God that he's not going to accept? It's kind of a sobering thought if you think about it. Because what if I go through all of this and it's for naught? You see, if you read your Bible, there's actually quite a few instances where God rejects someone's attempt to worship. An interesting one is a guy named uh, two, two brothers, Nadab and Abihu. Great names, by the way. Um, but they weren't very good people. They were worshiping God inappropriately and they were doing a fire and the fire burned them up because they were not following the instructions from God. Another example, Saul, King Saul was supposed to consult with the Lord and wait for Samuel to come, but he went to battle anyways. And then he came and got in trouble. And you know what he tried to do? Sacrifice a bunch of animals and worship to God to pay penance so that it was okay. And you know what Samuel said? Obedience is better than sacrifice. And because of your disobedience, your throne has been stripped from you. Boom! Talk about a sobering. That's like ripping the Royal Ranger coins right off your chest. In the New Testament, Jesus says it this way. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts and their cell phones are far from me. <laughs> Everybody's going to be reaching for their phones right now. I can see it already. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, all of us, when we come to God, we bring in different things, don't we? Some of us bring in experiences that we think, oh, that's the way, that's the song, that's the sound, that's what I want to hear, that's how God moves. Really? But in Revelation, it says when we get to heaven, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will sing in their native tongue, worship unto God. And it may sound a lot different than what you're used to. What if you get to heaven and God puts you next to somebody and you can't stand the way they sound? God, can I get a new, new spot in heaven? He's prepared a mansion, but I don't want to sit next to this guy. You see, we have to continually ask the Holy Spirit to shape our hearts, don't we? Because if we're not careful, we're more concerned about the form than the heart of what God's really after. Because of all that Jesus has done for me, I can't help but worship him. And so we have to really ask ourselves the question. And here's the beautiful thing. I haven't been here that long. So I'm not preaching at anybody. If you're like, oh, he's talking to me. I don't know. I love you. I'm just preaching the word of God, which says that we are to worship him in a way that pleases the father. And the cool thing is that we're not the first ones to struggle with this question. 
In the Bible, there is somebody who says, I think you should worship this way. And Jesus says, sorry, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. And he gives beautiful correction for you and I to pay attention to because if I'm just just to be honest, I'm going to be serious with you right now. I dream and pray and believe that this house, Portland Christian Center, is going to be a place that worships God in a way that touches the father that this world has never seen. Come on, we should shout for that. That we don't just come to sing songs and look nice, even though you all look great. But we come because we are so in love with Jesus. We are so grateful. We are so hungry for his presence that I am not leaving until I bless the heart of the Father. And when I come with that posture, things change. You see, what I have found over and over in my life the things that I am upset about, the things that I don't like, you know who the real problem is? (laughs) It's myself. Why do you think that it's called a sacrifice of praise? I'm laying down my will so that I can honor him. So let's go back to the lady who asked Jesus about worship because it will teach us a lot about how we should worship. If you have your Bibles... Come on, let's bring them out, baby. Look at that. We're getting better and better every week. John chapter four. We're going to go there, but I want to give you a quick little, little snapshot. A Samaritan woman in verse 19 and 20 says this. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors Worship. Worship. So here's the question. Should worship be done on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem? I have a picture for you real quickly. We'll put it up. Mount Gerizim. Now, by the way, in case, whoa, that's kind of fun. You can see me kind of in and out. Hey, maybe we can fade that out all the way. I don't know. Hopefully those online, you're welcome. I can be transparent. And authentic, if you want. So, <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this. So, Mount Gerizim, if you, if you know your Bible history, Moses used this as an illustration. He calls it, there's another mountain right next to it, and it's called the, the area where he does blessings and curses. And right in the middle is Shechem. And that's where God says that you can either follow my commandments and be blessed or not. And that's where this takes place. Well, the Samaritans took that literally and said that you have to now go to that mountain and present an offering to God. And that's the only way that you can worship God. Do you know there's still a small group of uh, Samaritans that still do that to this day? And Jesus shows up And he is at a well, and he asks, you may be familiar with this passage, for a woman who comes out, she comes in the middle of the day around noon, and she's getting water for herself. And Jesus says, please give me a drink of water. Now, this is astounding for two very important reasons. Jesus is a rabbi. Uh, They don't talk to women, and they definitely don't talk to Samaritans. 
Samaritans and Jews do not like each other. This is racism right here in the Bible. And Jesus says, I am here for every single person. I love you. And he says something that shocks this woman. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to skip down to John 4, 15 through 30. And this is what it says. Jesus says, before this, he says, I am going to offer you water that will cause you never to thirst again. Anybody else think that's pretty sweet? I would love some of that. It's better than Gatorade all day. So John 4, 15, it says this. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Okay, anybody think this is kind of the funniest conversation? Like he's there, as we read it, they jump back and forth over and over and over. So he says this, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands. Okay, is anybody else here think Jesus needs to learn some, like, manners? <laughs> Could you be more offensive? You've had five! And the one you're with now is not your husband. You're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, this lady is smart. The woman said, you must be a prophet. Changing the subject right away. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. Do you realize he just insulted her twice? Not only do you not know where you're supposed to worship, but you don't even know who you're worshiping. Man, Jesus is dropping some truth bombs. But the time is coming, indeed it is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Did you hear that? God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I would really encourage you, if you have a, a, like a highlighter or a pencil or something, I want you to highlight verse 26. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The reason I want you to say that, I want you to highlight that, because there are people in other religions, if you encounter them, especially the Muslim religion, that say that in the Bible, Jesus never claims to be the Messiah. It's right here. Oh, sorry. It's right here. He just said it. He just said it. I am the 
I, it wasn't a trick question. Let's say it together. I, he, Jesus said he is the Messiah. Messiah. It's so important that we say that out loud, isn't it? He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's claiming to be God. He's saying, I'm the one that you're going to worship. Boom shakalaka. That's Hebrew, by the way. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in power. I pray as we unpack this, that true worshipers, Father, that we would rise, that we would worship you, not being stuck on location, not being stuck on preference, not being stuck on all kinds of different things, but actually being set free to worship you in spirit and in truth. I rebuke anything in this that could happen in this service, whether online or even here, that would distract us from coming to you. And I pray that there would be a heart for every single one of us that would come to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My big idea, if you're taking notes, is God accepts worship expressed through spirit and truth. Spirit and in truth. Now, for those of us that love this one cool word, hermeneutics. Who likes hermeneutics? In case you don't know what hermeneutics are, it's rules for interpreting scripture. I'm not going to spend too much time, but I want to give you something that you just encountered here. Many people just blow by this, but hermeneutics will tell us something really important. I'm going to put it up on the screen is that um, there's some, the, when Jesus says spirit and in truth, it's one concept with two words. Say one concept, one concept. two words. And the, the word for that is hendiades. Hendiades. It should come up there. There it is. Hendiades. One concept with two words. Why is that so important? Because I've sat through teaching where people try to, spar to they call it parsing or separating spirit and truth. And what they try to do is it's kind of like a teeter-totter. You've been on a teeter-totter? Teeter -totter? No one's been on a teeter-totter? Okay, it's one of those things that had, oh, okay, we got some people, right? And you sit on one end, and if someone's a little heavier than the other one, you go wham, boom, boom, right, up and down. And what ends up happening is, is you start pitting one against the other. I want to be a person of the truth. And you have people over here. I'm a person of the spirit. And what ends up happening is people of the spirit, they have no grounding. And people that are only about the truth, they have no freedom. But Jesus said, you were never supposed to do that. You're going to worship me in what? Spirit and truth. Why? Because God is spirit. And true worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So at Portland Christian Center, I want us to really catch, we are never to divorce or separate or split apart spirit and in truth. 
When you worship Jesus, you are going to worship Jesus as spirit, your inner meaning, inner being, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And we're going to worship with the truth of God's word. The two are supposed to be joined together, never to be separated. So if we understand that correctly, worship should do some powerful things. In fact, it does. So here's what I want to land on the last couple of questions here is why is worshiping Jesus in spirit and truth so important? Why is it so important? Number one, when you focus on Jesus, you know what ends up happening? You're the one that gets transformed. A lot of people go backwards. They just want worship to be all about them. But the truth is you find yourself in Christ. So my first point, why is this so important, is worship transforms us. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I love how Pastor Jack Hayford puts it. He says it like this. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. I'm going to say that again. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worship. If worshiping Jesus is not your foundation, you will build a life that does not look like your creator. If worshiping Jesus is not your foundation, you will build a life where you don't end up looking like your creator. You were designed to end up looking like God more and more every single day. I was at Northwest University. Beautiful hair, by the way. Spectacular. And at chapel, we had to go three days a week. And they monitored it by making you scan a card on your way in. And so people used to joke, they called it scan and jam. Some people would scan and try and ditch. And I remember scanning, and then they actually had, had people watching and all these different things, because some guys would walk in with like six cards, <laughs> all their buddies, and all those little shenanigans. But I remember being in worship, and, and I'm telling you, at Northwest at that time, I loved the worship. It was powerful. It was anointed. People were going after it. And I was sitting by one of my friends um, who was on the basketball team. This is my sophomore year. And I noticed he would go through an entire worship service like this. And then he would sit down. And he did this three times a week for an entire semester. By the end of the semester, I asked him, I said, hey, um, I called him by name. I said, hey, I noticed that uh, you're not, you don't really participate in worship. I mean, I'm not want to like, judge or anything, but it looks like you're just bored or tired or something's not working for you. And, and he said, oh, oh, you don't understand. Worshiping like that, just worshiping in general, that's not part of my personality. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I don't, I don't really get too excited. I just like to stay kind of in my bubble, you know. And I thought, are you sure? Because last Saturday, you and I went to the University of Washington Husky football game. And I watched you in the aisles going like this. Oh! And he was dancing and celebrating. His face was purple and gold. By the way, that's the Husky colors for all, all the Duck fans or Beaver fans. Got to watch out which country am I in. 
And the saddest part about this story is this guy does not serve God today. You become who you worship. You know what his house is filled with? Purple and gold. And last I checked, he's in a lot of pain. It's sad. His story, I'm praying for him because I know him by name. I played basketball with him. But the picture of his life is one who, when you refuse to worship your creator, you'll worship something else. And every time we come together, it's another opportunity for you and I to say, no, 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 no. This is not about Nate. This is about you. I'm going to worship you. I don't care what style of song, how great the beats are. I don't care about any of that. I am here to give a, my worship to God because it's about spirit and truth. Amen. And I'm not going to hold anything back because he deserves everything amen. that I can offer. Can I get an amen? amen? The second thing that happens. So the first thing that happens is that you're transformed. The second thing is that we're worshiping Jesus refocuses my attention. Have you noticed how hard it is to focus in these, these days and ages this time? In case you're wondering, uh, digital marketing experts estimate that most Americans, by the way, people, that's people in this room, you are exposed to four to 10,000 ads per day. Four to 10,000 ads per day. Coca-Cola spent $4.1 billion on advertising last year alone. In 2020, they spent $2 billion. They doubled it in 2021. I want to ask you a question. Who's got your attention? Because in a service like this, it always amazes me. And, and please hear my heart. I'm not throwing shade or judging, but it amazes me how often we can't get away from these. I want to just do a quick little fun exercise with you. If ever, anybody here has a cell phone, would you just hold it up with me real quick? Let's hold up our cell phones. Come on, hold it up high. It's okay. It's okay if it's a droid. I forgive you. I forgive you. Come on, hold them up. We got more people not, not participating. Come on, hold, hold them up high. Hold them up high. Okay, oh, we got a flashlight. There we go. No shame. There we go. <laughs> hold them up. Hold them up. I dare you. Oh, come on. Keep them up. Don't put them down. No, no. I know your arms are getting tired. You can go like this if your arms are tired. Have your neighbor help you hold it up. You ready? I want you to try and do something. Hold it. I don't know if you can see it. Hold that little button. See where it says, oh, I just took a picture of you. <laughs> Turn it off. I dare you to turn it off. Oh, some people are getting anxious. My phone is off. Why is that so hard? Anybody else find that to be a problem? Why is doing that so hard for us? Because there is a war for your attention. The enemy wants you to be focused on anything but Jesus. Worship is me saying, I'm putting my phone away, I'm putting everything away, and I am going straight for Jesus. Now, i got to be careful because I'm not going religious. I'm just being truthful here. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Yeah. 
So when we refocus, we see him more clearly. One of the things that's been asked me is, why, why do you open up the altars at the end of service? Why are you so, like, didn't you just say it's not about a mountain or an altar? Yes, I get all that. So why do we do this? Why are we opening the altars? Why are we extending worship? Why are we trying to help every person engage in worshiping Jesus? Because I know the only way that a heart can be transformed is to encounter Jesus. And coming out of your seat and coming forward, all I'm asking you to do is to change your perspective just a little bit and refocus on him. I don't want it to be religious. If you're like, man, I, I just can't, that's okay. Maybe move in your pew just a little bit to the right. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? This is a, a heart issue that all of us must come to the Father and say, Lord, you saved me. If you've done nothing else for me, that's enough. I know, my, I know people, I've been around people that have been healed. I have been touched by God. He set me free from addiction. He's touched my life. The least I could do is worship him. The least I could do. And my prayer for every single one of us is that we would not get hung up on all the things that even the Samaritans got hung up on, but that we would just be so refocused on Jesus that nothing else would matter. Because the truth is, he deserves our worship. He deserves your praise. And the other thing I think that holds people back sometimes, just, just being real, is that we don't really know how, how, to, how to worship God. Like, we've, you know what we grow up with? We've, we see people do things, and we're like, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to look like that. I'm not sure what I want to do. Great news. The Bible actually has some really cool ways to worship God. So I'm going to give them to you really quickly. And by the way, this isn't exhaustive. But what's cool about this, these are biblical forms of worship that have been tested and proven that are acceptable to God to worship him. But please don't get religious on me. In other words, I'm saying don't make it the only way. Okay? We worship God in what? Spirit and truth. So I'm going to have some fun with some Hebrew. You ready for this? The first word is barach. Say it with me. Barach. This is to kneel, to bless God, and to bow down. Just doing this alone changes your life. Who's in charge? Who gets my worship? Who gets my worship? I lay my life down for him. The next one, halal, to be clear, to shine, to boast, to show, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. By the way, that's King David. When he danced in the streets before the Ark of the Covenant and his wife, Michael. Anyways, we'll leave her out of it, but she got in trouble. She made fun of him. Did you know that kind of worship is appear, appears 110 times in the Old Testament? Shabbat! To shout loudly and to command. Telaha! To sing praises, sing out of the Spirit spontaneously. I love that one because it's unrehearsed. It's over and over and over. So many people think Maverick City invented spontaneous worship. I'm sorry. 
It's been going on for thousands of years. <laughs> Love those guys, but they didn't invent it. Tauda, extending hands, acting out of thanksgiving for what or what will be done. Yada, extending, this one's fun, extending the hands vigorously. Why am I telling you all of this? Because I don't want you to not worship just because you don't know what you could do. Your heart was made to worship Jesus. If I could have the worship team come, forward, come up and if everyone could stand with me. Today is a day that I believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring in hearts a fresh desire, a fresh love, a fresh fire to do something. And you know what that is? I bet you can guess. Worship. You were made to worship. And you know what's funny? Even as I'm talking about this and even I'm saying this to you, you know what I can feel in the room? Oh, are you sure, Pastor Nate? That's what God wants me to do. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I want to encourage you with something really powerful. Never come to worship on your emotions. You know how we come to God? Spirit and in truth. And when you do that as a sacrifice of praise, guess what happens? Your emotions change. You get filled with joy. You get filled with freedom. All the things that you brought in, you can leave them at the altar and walk out set free because that's how good our God is. The last thing that I want to mention really quickly, and then we're going to worship Jesus. Go ahead and start playing, guys, behind me, is that worship keeps me grateful. Worship keeps me grateful. Romans 12, 1 teaches us that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And it says in there, because of all that he has done. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and start thinking and, re and just playing in your mind like a movie reel. What has God done for you? What has God done for your family? Come on out, worship team. What has God done in your life? Come on. Thank you, Jesus, for health. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for my family. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my boys. I thank you that I have your word that's here living and active. I thank you that I have the chance to worship you in spirit and in truth. Come on, church, just start saying things of thanksgiving to God. Thank him for who he is, how great he is, how powerful he is, how mighty he is. Nothing is impossible for our God. When you worship, it's a weapon. Cities have fallen just by singing. Armies have been defeated just by worshiping. I don't know what you're facing, but when you worship, God does the only thing that, he, that you can do. He sets people free. He heals hearts. He transforms marriages. Worship, it's your weapon. It's your weapon. Come on. I want you to know these altars are open. If you want to get out of your seat and just worship Jesus, come on. This is your time. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or 
Join us online for our live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.